Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, Hal Bryan. I'm EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. And joining me today is a former guest, now turned guest host. It is... Uh, Rick Larson, uh, EAA's Vice President of Communities and Member Programs. Oh, Rick, it's uh, this will be fun. This is uh, your, your first time sort of on, in this role on this show, right? It, it would be the first time, Hal. Exactly. And uh, it, it remains to be seen whether or not it'll be the last. It but, could be. Uh, <laughs> We'll go with it. And uh, Rick, we've got uh, we've got someone joining us uh, remotely today to talk about uh, a, a topic that has always fascinated me and I know is near and dear to you. So why don't you let us know who's who's waiting to talk to us here? Yeah, so we're going to talk hang gliding today. And uh, joining us today is uh, Daniel Lang with uh, Hang Glide Wisconsin. And uh, we got to know one another a little bit over the summer uh at air venture uh as we uh as we brought hang gliding uh a little bit more center stage during the event this year terrific well daniel welcome well thank you you're quite an honor i've been a longtime eaa member and lifetime member and uh you're talking to some uh some some of the big guys in this movement uh it's great thank you well, we appreciate your lifetime membership, and just to be uh, just to be clear, uh, Rick is the official big guy at the table. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's great to talk to you. It's great to have you here. And uh, as we get things uh, get things rolling, can you tell us just a little bit about your your background specifically? What uh, when did you first get into hang gliding? Oh my goodness! Uh, back in the um, well, not in the ex- absolute beginning of the ultralight movement, but before the name ultralight was even coined, uh, motorized hang gliders appealed to me. Uh, a simple way to start flying. I could take off from my own land, land on my own land, land where I want on my feet, be as close to a bird as possible. And uh, that's, that's what got me started in the hang gliding world. Back then, you had to learn to fly a hang glider first before they'd sell you a motor. And uh, I thought it was a, a great way to, to get introduced to aviation. Now, where were you living at the time? Were you in the Midwest, or uh, were you where were you? Uh, central Wisconsin, north, just north of Wisconsin Dells. Okay, so the idea of uh, traditional hang gliding didn't really seem that maybe like much of an option because we don't have a ton of terrain here in Wisconsin. And I know, uh, and Rick and I have talked about this at length, that uh, you tend to associate hang gliding with, with mountains or, or you know, cliffs on the coast, that kind of thing. Sure. and uh, But my introduction to this area was boat towing, uh, towing behind the motorboat with a static line, uh, a la Tommy Bartlett show. Wow. And... Uh, I thought that was kind of cool and uh, ran into a, an amateur club uh, north of the Dells at uh, Castle Rock Lake. And they had an old glider that they weren't using. And if it was old in 79, you can imagine what kind of condition <laughs> it was in. But, uh, you know, they, they didn't have anybody that wanted to fly it. And I said, well, come on, let's go and give it a try. And so that was uh, my, my initial flight. And a hang glider at Castle Rock Lake. Yeah, that's pretty wild because I would assume that that you're one of a a minority that actually got their start in hang gliding behind a boat. Um, because if you think about 
you know, nowadays, and, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit more, you know, the whole ground toe side and, and, you know, that is so commonplace now. Um, you know, but, you know, I know when, when I got into it, it was all about finding elevation to, to fly off of. Um, so that's interesting that, that you got your start, um, getting towed behind a boat. So the learning, the learning curve must've been pretty interesting. (laughs) The learning curve was, uh, you know, and, and I hate to say it this way, it was kind of like do or die. (laughs) I would think, but, or at least do or swim, I would guess. Well, and, you know, and swimming w- was certainly better than the guys that tried it on land and, you know, had only the earth to, to pound into. <laughs> and, uh, but having said that, my surgeon said, I'm a very lucky man that I did it into water rather than, uh, than dirt. <laughs> and, really? uh, One doesn't normally think of, uh, consulting a surgeon after flight training, but <laughs> I guess. The, uh, yeah, the ambulance took me directly to him. <laughs> but anyway. Well, <laughs> so uh, you, you you didn't have, uh, this really was trial and, and it sounds like some error for you then. You really, we, did you have anybody there who was telling you, you know, you sort of, you, you, you push on the crossbar to go up and pull it uh, to go down or? Well, actually the, the best advice or the, or the advice that I remember, which got me in the most trouble was wrong. And so the, the techniques that he taught or, or told me about on how to, how to fly, how to release, how to get off the line, that sort of thing. Was was just basically wrong, and uh, it caused some issues. Wow, <laughs> I would say. But you know, having said that, things in the hang gliding world have changed so dramatically in the last forty years that uh, you know those early stories where we were all ignorant and just going for it uh, no longer have to happen. And for which I'm grateful. You know, I've been you know at it for plus or minus forty years. And, uh, you know, things have changed a lot since then. Thank goodness. So how, how long, Daniel, how long have you been in the flight instruction side of things now from a hang gliding standpoint? Actual, actual flight instruction, not all that long. Um, I got my uh, tandem rating probably about three years ago. But uh, this summer, um, I, I spent most of my hang gliding career in the in the tow plane, at, at least recently, the last ten years or so. But uh, in the last three years, when my wife and I took over the business here, we thought it would be advantageous to use my hang gliding skills on the other end of the rope. And actually, I uh, got my instructor rating. And, and this summer, I haven't flown a tow plane at all. It's all been uh, tandem instruction. Wow! And of course, when you were uh, back there getting getting dragged behind a boat um we wouldn't have had even had the concept that early of uh, tandem gliders uh, yet was that true or, that, that's or, absolutely true and, and certainly yeah, you was... didn't have access to one so what I'm, I'm curious about is you know you're you're interested in this and you find this thing and you get some uh you get some bad advice uh it sounds like you had a little bit of a rough experience at one point what made you want to continue? The, um, the draw of aviation 
You know, I liken it to alcohol or or other drugs. You know, you can get on the wagon and get away from aviation for only a short time before you're eventually drawn back in. And, you know, there are people that uh, want to be in aviation. And, you know, for other, for other concerns, money, family, uh, fear, <laughs> whatever it is, right. um, don't, don't pursue it. But um, it's hang gliding is the least expensive way to get into aviation. And the aero towing part of it, you can get a tow up for 25 bucks at a local tow park and spend an hour, two hours, three hours, eight hours flying around some, a couple guys this summer. And it becomes the cheapest cost per minute that you can do in aviation. Well, and, and, uh, and you're, you're certainly right. You know, flying is, is an addiction. Thankfully, uh, for almost all of us, it's a very healthy, uh, very healthy addiction. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's really remarkable. You're talking somebody got get towed up uh, in the Midwest over, you know, sort of flatland. Yep. And they stayed up for eight hours. That's that is the, uh, mind-boggling. Well, and, and in the same time, they covered 150 miles of, of terrain, a, a pre-chosen path across the ground. And uh, you know, they actually flew through the air much further than that to cover 150 miles and land back at the airport after 7 o'clock at night, having launched before 11 o'clock in the morning. That's amazing. I mean, you just don't, you don't think about that. I mean, you think about it from a, you know, those of us have been around it, you think about it from a sailplane standpoint a bit. But when you go look at the performance of a modern hang glider, um, it's pretty darn close to the performance of, you know, a, a modern sailplane, is it not, Daniel? Not even close. I'm sorry, but we... We do envy the, the performance characteristics of a modern sailplane. A hang glider um, you know, has some advantages over a sailplane in that we can core smaller thermals, so we're more intimate with the air. But uh, the best of the modern hang gliders are about a 20 to 22 to 1 glide ratio. And you know the top of the line sailplanes are over 50 to 1. Sure. So, you know, so that that they definitely have an advantage that way, but uh, you know compared to the ones that I started out in, which had like a four to one glide ratio, <laughs> it's like heaven. Yeah, I was. I guess that's where where my head was at. Is you know I recall the days where you know it was like flying a greased rock, and <laughs> you know when you when you looked at you know four or five to one glide ratio, and that was that was kind of it. I mean, you know, it didn't get a whole lot better at the time. Well, Rick, uh, you've you've told me about, and you've even written in Sport Aviation Magazine about uh, uh, hang gliding kind of down near Chicago and finding sort of the, the highest point around. Um, but uh, for those that haven't uh, haven't read that or haven't heard the story, uh, again, with the backdrop of knowing that there are eight-hour hang glider flights and certainly longer than that out there, uh, how long was a typical flight for you? And in fact, step us through just quickly a, a typical flight. Uh, what you were doing while while, uh, while poor Daniel's uh, trying not to drown. What are you doing? So I, I think we were we were doing this at about exactly the same time, um, just in two different locations. 
Um, you know, we, uh, a buddy of mine and I, of mine, uh, and I, you know, bought a hang glider when we were in high school and, and started to fly gr- growing up in the Chicago area. There's not many high points in the Chicago area that you legally can jump off of. <laughs> right. There's some and, buildings down there. Yes, there are some. Um, <laughs> that's frowned upon. We actually learned to fly at, uh, the Norgie ski jump hill. Um, there's a, an old, uh, ski jump that was established way back in the early 1900s. Um, I think it's in Fox River Grove, Illinois. And they used the landing hill to go train off of. Uh, and, and that's where we started. We did most of our flying up at Warren Dunes up in, uh, in Michigan um, along the lake. And, you know, when you talk about a typical flight, you know, Daniel's talking about 30 minutes, hour, two hours, three hours. <laughs> uh, compare that to... Um, taking 25 to 30 minutes to get to the top of a 300-foot-high dune, maybe 300-foot-high dune. Dragging the glider on your back. Yes, and uh, and then getting a 30 to 45-second flight in. And, and literally, that's what we were doing. Um, but there was still something very amazing about that. You know, there was something, you know, especially as a kid, um, you know, that, that here you were, you know, crawling up this dune but the way you were getting down is you were flying down and you know even even though the flights were incredibly short you know for the most part um it was it seemed like an incredibly worthwhile thing to do all day long and uh and that's what we did and 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 there was still a an absolute magic in you know Feeling that wind in your face, pushing that bar forward, leaning forward, taking a few steps, and all of a sudden you're flying. Um, there just is is something very, very pure about that, and still is. Absolutely, very. Uh, uh, sounds like such a visceral experience. So the closest I've come personally is did some ultralight flying in the early '80s, and it's you know maybe a, a cousin of hang gliding, but it was always powered and yep, and and things like that. So, uh, so Daniel, let's uh, let's pick up uh, the thread of your story again. Um, you know, you, uh, you kind of work your way through learning behind the boat. What was uh, what was the next uh, move for you? Well, the, um, the the next move was was actually into ultralights, and you know, like I mentioned before, the it was before the ultralight name. It was a powered hang glider. I want put a you know, bought a, a large modern version of a hang glider back in, um, oh, what was it, 80, early 80, 81, and uh, hung a Stormaster brand name power unit on it. Basically, the chainsaw engine and a long shaft, a little metal prop on the back. And, uh, you know, I, I hung in a swing seat, a, a child's plastic swing seat and tried to run with this thing strapped to my legs with the motor going and everything else, it did not work well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, it was the way it was back then. And, uh, you know, one of the early, one of the best things I ever did was trade that whole rig off on a powered Quicksilver, an high performance Quicksilver. Yep that came on a tail dragger landing gear with a 15-horse Yamaha engine. It's like revolutionized my world. And, and that's became, a very, very early much, Quicksilver, isn't yep. it? It is. Yeah. 
it, it's be, it's before even Quicksilver, the company, was powering their own aircraft. You know, a, a guy in Iowa that uh, bought the, the gliders from Quicksilver and adapted uh, landing gear and power units for them that way. But, uh, you know, that was... Uh, once I had some, you know, bad experiences and a lot of experiences that were okay, you know, that was my um, lease into the sky. Uh, I had to give up the foot launch and landing thing uh, for uh, a better way. And uh, so that was it. And then, you know, it was from a, a bunch of different Quicksilvers and eventually into Cessnas and Piper Arrows and, and, a lot of time out of the business until about 10 years ago, I got reintroduced to uh, foot launching at Kitty Hawk Kites out in North Carolina on the Outer Banks. And uh, the rest of it is saved from history, or is history. I came back to Wisconsin. I got into the arrow towing thing. I saved the, the local flying club here because they were disbanding, bought the tow plane. And 10 years later, we, my wife and I now own two flight parks, one in Wisconsin, one in Arizona, where hang gliding is all we do. That's a really cool story, though. Yeah. I mean, obviously sticking with it, and uh, but there's still something about the simplicity of flying, that side of it, that has always drawn you back. Is that not correct? Well, that's that's exactly it. You know, the, the wind in your face, the wing being extension of your body and your arms being you know, the literal center of gravity of the, the airframe and you move the, the wing around your body or your body around the wing it's like one 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 piece and you know when you when you think oh yeah i want to go over there and you're already on your way over there without even you know before the thought becomes reality in your mind that kind of connection with the airframe is is pretty rare. You know, it's uh, really fascinating to me, uh, Daniel, that we when we look at aviation history, uh, and you mentioned Kitty Hawk kites, and I think one of the great things that they do is they have that right glider that people can go and fly and sort of experiment with that. Um, and I know uh, they had uh, the Lilienthal glider uh, out there a couple of, or at least once, if not a couple of times. But we look at aviation history, and we we start with pioneers. Uh, somebody like Lilienthal, who's uh, doing his, you know, effectively doing hang gliding with you know wood wing spars in his armpits and and running down, uh, jumping off hills in, uh, near Berlin, inspiring the rights and and all that stuff. So we we think of hang gliding as a starting point, but then we progress from that. And you kind of did that same path, starting with hang gliding, and then and then adding the power to it and everything. And then you said moving on to Cessnas and Pipers and things like that. But it's uh, it's fascinating to me to to look at it now and realize that the enjoyment of the experience isn't necessarily a progression. I mean, shooting a, an instrument approach down to minimums in your Piper Arrow is uh, uh, an enjoyable and rewarding activity and all that sort of thing. But it's really not the same. It doesn't. Uh, it's not a progression in the sense you don't look at that kind of flying as better than hang gliding. That's exactly right. And we've got club members here that have been doing the hang gliding thing for 40, 45, almost 50 years. And you mentioned 
you mentioned that there aren't a lot of vertical places in Wisconsin. Well, we, you know, we have two guys in the club that partnered up that far ago and have been hang gliding ever since using what's in Wisconsin. They drive for hours and hours on the weekend and find a farmer that had a little hill and see if it was into the wind and, and ask permission and, and pioneered sites all over the state. Now, all those sites have kind of gone to tall grass and trees and brush, which is sad. But, you know, the hang gliding spirit still lives. And, uh, you know, we've just gone to a different method to get the air airtime and gone from cross-country travel to cross-country flight and a country club type of atmosphere, at least here in Whitewater where guys drive over, they get their wing out, they go fine, they put their wing back, they go home and have not only the flying, but the camaraderie of a group rather than just the isolated, you know, one or two guys out on the hill somewhere um, trying to get airborne. Yeah, I mean, that is certainly, uh, you're describing something that is certainly something that has evolved over the years. Um you know, especially when you look at the, the flight parks or tow parks, as you call them, um, you know, that's a very different, uh, that's a very different environment than where a lot of us, you know, early on started doing this. And it was a very, very much a, an individual kind of activity. Um, you know, not that you wouldn't see, you know, folks out flying at the same location that you were at, but um, it was certainly different. Well, it, it was different and a lot more, in, in some ways, a lot more pure. I still love jumping off a mountain. It is, but yep. I live in Wisconsin, <laughs> so I, I'm somewhat limited. But uh, you know, I learned again after after all those years in different forms of aviation. When I got back into it, I actually learned again and look out Mountain Flight Park down in actually Georgia, but near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, you know, when people complain about having to drive, you know, an hour or two hours to get to here, that was a 12-hour drive, 700 miles each way. Wow. And that's that's the addicted part. But, yep. you know, I would go whenever I could and either learn off the bunny hills and fly off the mountain. They also do aero, par- aero tow training there. And to me... That was my heaven. And, uh, you know, like I said, whenever I could, I'd get there. And, and that's the source, my, my, my hang gliding home, actually, for the last, you know, when I started, got back into it 10 years ago. Um, that's where I learned. Wow. So it's the, the, the draw and the simplicity of hang gliding, you know, to me are the, the couple things that, that stand out among um, above everything else. Sure. Now, you, you mentioned that, uh, um, and we'll maybe get to more of the origins of the business in a moment, but you mentioned that you and your wife own uh, Hang Glide Wisconsin now. is uh, Does she fly? Is she involved uh, in, in that aspect of it with you? She, she flies with me, but not on her own. Okay. But that's uh, that's uh, any other family members because it's it's always great to have that family support. No, the uh, you know, I've, I've got three brothers that live in different parts of the country, but uh, 
none of them really had that that desire like you know don't ask me why i got it and my brother brothers didn't but uh you know my dad was had had always wanted to fly but you know with four kids back in the 50s and 60s um the most he could do was a the you control uh, oh. little model airplane also an airplane thing yeah and uh you know that's still you know i i applaud eaa for getting into the model aeronautics side of it and promoting you know the model building and the, the model flying because you know that's a, a great way to to start on the budget and you know there are people that never get beyond that and just love it yeah you know you're right yeah and and we look at you know we look at the modeling side as as simply another way to participate in aviation and and you're absolutely right you know for some it's it's where you stay for others it's a stepping stone um and for others it's where you come back to um but that that certainly has been our motivation in doing that so daniel i uh um i want to talk a little bit about uh sort of the mechanics of, of like the aerotow in particular because i think as we said at the beginning a lot of people sort of assume you think hang gliding you think jumping off of of mountains and you think it you know a very sort of separate, uh, maybe solitary activity, but you uh, described something very different. So if I were to, to come to Hang Glide, Wisconsin, uh, you know, with no experience or, or knowledge in this and say that I want to learn, I want to learn to do this. What, uh, what happens on my first day? Well, the, the first day for, for me, at least as an instructor, as we sit down and have a long conversation, um, Try, try to determine your, your motives for doing something like this, your skills, um, what other things you might have done similar to this, whether it be skydiving or, you know, general aviation, uh, things that might uh, transfer, things that might be a hindrance to learning how to fly a hang glider. And uh, you know, talk about the time involved, the cost involved, and... Uh, you know, once we get beyond all that, there are some forms to fill out. Uh, we are uh, authorized to do tandem instruction by the United States Hang Gliding and Paragliding Association in conjunction with the FAA. Um, we can't just do joy rides. All our, our flights, tandem flights, have to be in the form of instruction. And the, the first flight would be a very basic, like, tourist kind of flight where you would be in the top harness, I would be in the bottom in control of everything. And basically, we just go flying together. Um, it would be uh, try to make it as enjoyable as possible, not too heavy on the learning, because it's really, for a lot of people, a very intense experience, especially the first early flight. Um, a lot of things going on that are brand new. And so we try to take it easy. And then as time goes by, as we uh, do additional flights, uh, you get in the bottom harness where you have better control, easier flying, and then we just progress. Try to make the I do the takeoffs and most of the toe up. You get your hands wet on the toe, especially, and then once we release, you fly down. Um, a sack of potatoes can fly down. That's not very difficult. Uh, the landing is, the, the, I mean, gravity takes hold, and you're coming down. Uh, yeah, we've never left modern, one up there. Modern, yep. Modern, modern hang gliders are designed to be stable, especially the training ones. And so flying hands off is like 
normal. And you know, it's not like you have to actually fly the thing. You just guide it, make some turns, go fast, go slow. Those are all skills that are pretty darn easy to pick up. And then we get to the approach and landing, which is not as easy to pick up, but uh, you know, we're landing and taking off on wheels. So it's, uh, again, the sack of potatoes and the instructor are all that's required. So, Daniel, are you using um, are you using a dolly from a a takeoff standpoint, or yeah, describe that a little bit more? Because again, I think this is what is is so different nowadays with you know learning um, you know from a uh, a toe standpoint versus you know what it what it used to be. Describe that the, the 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 whole takeoff process and mechanically what's going on with that. Okay, the okay ninety nine percent, not one hundred percent, but ninety nine percent of the aero towing today is done, whether you're solo or flying tandem, off of a dolly, some sort of wheeled apparatus. For training purposes, the wheels are permanently affixed to our tandem glider. We don't drop them. They stay with us all the way. We use them to both land or take off and land. The solo guys fly off of a dolly, a, a three-wheeled little launch cart, and but they leave those on the ground. Too much drag, too much weight, all that kind of thing for, for performance flying. And then come back in and land either on their bellies or on their feet depending upon their skill level and, and, and needs at the time. So for the for entire training process here, we're, we're taking off and landing on the wheels of the tandem glider. That's interesting. And, and what's the, the aircraft you use for the tow? The, the towing plane is a, a plane, it's called a dragonfly, uh, designed though, about 30 years ago by a guy in Australia and it's specifically for hang gliding towing purposes. Flies very slowly, but still very powerful, anywhere from 65 to 115 horsepower on an ultralight looking aircraft. Right. And how fast would you be normally flying during the, during the tow portion? Oh, 35 miles an hour. Sometimes Sometimes slower. Some of the tow planes could get down into the 25 area, but uh, most of the hang gliders like a little bit more speed than that. Speed is maneuverability, speed is control. And uh, so some of the more basic ones will tow back at 32, 30 miles an hour, something like that. The high performance ones are up around 38 to 40. So, Daniel, what um, on a typical training flight, um... What altitude are you releasing at normally? We don't normally go up to twenty five hundred feet AGL. Okay. And and in a on a flight where you're not getting a whole lot of lift, it's just a straight training flight from twenty five hundred feet. How long how long a flight is that? Um, well, the, the whole flight we call 15 minutes in the logbook, but it's, you know, like seven minutes up and seven or eight minutes back down. We okay. find at about the same rate when we descend. So the, the biggest thing is learning foot launching on a small training hill. You get, you know, your, your first flights are like five seconds. 
yep. or 10 seconds. And, and, and all you really hope to do is survive that. You know, here, your first flight is 15 minutes with, with you know, half of that being free flight back down. A lot of lot lot more learning goes on much more effectively, given that time span to to pick things up and to be pointed out stuff by a, a voice in your ear, the instructor right by your side. That is really uh, is really amazing. I think, as you said, a typical training hop on a hill would be five seconds, and then you go take that and go to fifteen minutes. Uh, it's the, just doing the math is amazing. If if I had logged all my thirty second flights, yeah, that would have probably been three toes on from <laughs> exactly. Daniel on yes. a dragonfly. Yeah, your entire uh, entire hang gliding career <laughs> and back I, then might have been. Oh my gosh! So uh, so Danny, you mentioned a, a, a toe might cost me around twenty five uh, twenty five bucks. What uh, um, what's the typical rate for the dual instruction? And then um, how many flights or how much time? Typically, say if somebody comes in with with no experience and no bad habits, uh, how long before that person's really ready to go on their own? The uh, the cost once once you get to solo twenty five dollars gets you a toe up to two thousand feet, and after that you're on your own. When you're taking training, basically it's ninety five dollars a flight. We sell packages of eight flights or sixteen flights, which include books and logbook and instruction manual and some ground training and all that kind of stuff. But uh, most people are uh, capable of flying on their own after 15 to 20 flights tandem. It's um, some, some less. I think the, the record I heard is six, but he had some ultralight experience to back up the, the, it, you know, the weight shift. I'm sorry, weight shift ultralight experience to go with the, the aerotro training. Um, the longest was probably, no, no, I take it back, was, but, but the, the near the longest was me. I took 25. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I say that, you know, with, with some pride and some, you know, just some re- real world knowledge, but, you know, the, the, the sad part about that is I already knew how to fly a hang glider and actually airplanes. But all of that, you know, was not to my advantage when I was learning how to fly. Everybody is their own individual. But as it turns out, after five instructors and going, you know, 700 miles to get instruction, a lot of things compounded. It took me 25 flights before I got signed off. Much of that had to do with being trying to be too close to perfect, being too tense, not relaxed, just trying to be right on it all the time. And once I relaxed, it like boom, it fell in place, and I was flying on my own very soon. So, so Daniel, I got a question that that I've got is when you look at who you're seeing out there nowadays as a a student. Um, and, and folks that are taking this up, um, describe, describe who you're seeing out there. Who's typically doing this? And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm curious from an age standpoint. I'm curious from an experience standpoint. Um, but, you know, given that it is more accessible 
um, today. Um, you know, certainly with the uh, with the ground toes and that. Who are you seeing? That's a really good question, and one that makes me, on the one hand, shudder a little bit from an instructor's point of view. And those are the guys that either went hang gliding back in their youth and are now retired. They've got some money. They want to buy a hang glider. They want to get into this thing and haven't done any flying in the intermediate years that are trying to pick up skills at an age when many hang glider pilots with those skills are thinking about getting out. But having said that, you know, with a little additional training, you know, they're they're not the best students, but they're they're the best motivated students. And you know, even though they're they're getting on in age, they seem to be able to pick it up. They uh, so it's it's people that you know wanted to in their youth and now have the capacity to do it. The other the other end of that is probably the the. 30 to 40-ish guys, mostly guys. Not, I don't have a single woman student at this time, but sadly. Um, but, but the 30 to 40-ish guys, a lot of them uh, seem at this time have their own businesses that they can get away from to learn. You know, their, their family situation is stable. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of know what's going on in life and have chosen this time to, to get to, to realize the dreams of their youth. Not, not many 18-year-olds, uh, but, uh, you know, which is, which is kind of sad. But, it, you know, in, our, in this aspect, you just can't buy an old junker glider and go out on the hill and fly up and down it to your heart's content for free, like it, like it was when I was young. Right, yes. And so, that, like Rick's experience uh, there as well. So something I'm curious about, uh, Daniel, let me just give you two hypothetical students. Let's talk about that, you know, the 35-year-old uh, the uh, on their own business. They've got a, a little bit of discretionary income and some extra time that they can get away. Um, one of them has never flown anything. And then the other imaginary student uh, comes swaggering in with uh, 250 hours and a 172, you know, maybe private, even instrument, something like that. Um, does one have an advantage over the other? Are they going to progress at roughly the same time, all else being equal? I would, I would say no. The uh, I don't, I don't see a particular advantage for having airtime in a regular aircraft. Okay. Oftentimes, oftentimes, unless you can divorce yourself from that learning, the the controls of a hang glider seem backward to a GA pilot. Um, if if you if you confuse the control bar of a hang glider with a yoke or a stick of a of a regular airplane, um, you know it, it's you know the old joke. On a regular airplane, you pull back to go up. You pull back more to go down. The, uh, <laughs> yes. it, in, in, in hang gliding, if you pull back on the bar, you're actually speeding up. Yep. And so, so that, that conditioned reflex, you know, based on that, is, is sometimes nearly impossible for a pilot to overcome. 
not not totally impossible, but you have to really divorce yourself from the regular flying and and concentrate on the, the different aircraft you're you're in or the different type of control. But um, you know, I fly both. I don't see I don't make any distinction now whatsoever. You know, I sit in an airplane, I fly an airplane. I sit in a hang glider, I fly a hang glider, and there's no kind of like crossover that I need to refresh my brain on. But, uh, you know, so can learning from scratch how to fly a hang glider is sometimes easier than unlearning how to fly a GA aircraft and, you know, converting to a hang glider. So, Daniel, you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned early on, um, you know, I think we were talking just generally about affordability and accessibility of this. For someone that uh, would would go through flight training with you, get to the point of, of you know, being able to go fly solo and, and would, would look at um, – in making the step to buy their own equipment, buy their own glider and harness and, and all that. Um, what, just so, you know, our listeners, you know, get a sense of, of what kind of investment are you looking at? You know, typically for that, you know, that first glider that you might go out and purchase, um, where, where is that price point? Okay. Um, and, and here's the distinction between uh, beginner, novice equipment and professional or, or advanced equipment. Um, Try not to get into that. Um, I, okay, for me, for example, I was able to, to scrounge through eBay and, and different um, things and find a, a harness to fly for like 500 bucks. And I picked up a used glider for 200 bucks that I had to make some, some upgrades to. And so maybe I've got, you know, at most $1,000 into my flying equipment. And have, have done just fine. Now, on the other end of that, if you buy a new harness, you can spend from $1,200, $1,300 to $3,000 on a new harness. On a new hang glider, a beginner new hang glider is probably about 4500 A beginner advanced hang glider, you can spend easily, well, if you buy new, $10,000, bucks $12,000 for the state-of-the-art competition class advanced hang glider. But um, so most, most people, you know, beyond instruction, are getting into it for a couple of grand. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing to me doing that, Matthew mentioned maybe 20, 20 flights or so for somebody to really get comfortable going solo and, you know, 95 bucks a flight. So as you said, there's the two grand. And, you know, even if uh, if somebody were to do that and then go out and really splurge a bit on that, as you said, that kind of that beginner advanced uh, glider and harness and all that equipment, you know, you're talking twelve, fifteen thousand $15,000 to go from zero to owning your own brand new aircraft. And that's that's really mind blowing when you look at the at the costs associated with, you know, GA and you know even uh, even ultralights. Yep. Frankly. And then when you're and and you tie that to, at that point where, you know, you can be, you know, flying, you know, twenty five bucks 
a tow and you do that a couple times on a weekend, it's pretty affordable pretty affordable way to fly right and it's compelling we didn't really get into it and we're uh, we're getting to the end of the episode here but uh that idea too that uh uh depending on conditions that the 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 sort of better you get the longer your flight can be if you're good at at finding lift and danny you use the term coring a thermal and and as hang gliders you can f- rely on much smaller thermals you know that whole that whole concept that somebody got this uh, got this tow stayed up for eight hours and covered 150 miles and landed back uh, back at home, um, again, is uh, is remarkable. And you're not sitting there thinking about gallons per hour and, you know, do I have enough fuel to make my destination, my alternate? You're just thinking, do I have lift? Do I not have lift? And, uh, and when I either decide I'm done or I really can't find the lift anymore, I'm going to land. And, and I think, I think, Hal, the other thing is, you know, you look at it and you know, it is, as Daniel, I think, was describing, you know, it is a totally different type of flying. Um, you know, that simplicity factor is huge, you know, and, and for all of us that, that fly for the pure fun and enjoyment of flying, um, you know, certainly hang gliding may be one of those things that, that just makes sense to go try and go experience because it is a pretty pure way to fly. Well, and, you know, and we, we in our world, concentrate on the flying aspect more than some people do, but I don't want to overshadow the, the people that are in this flying life. The, uh, we have a club here at Whitewater that's somewhere around 35 or 40 members, and when you're done flying, you sit down, you have a beer, you talk about your fights, and it's, you know, the flying gets them here. It's the people that keep them here. Yep. It's it's the friends you make along the way that are much more, in most cases, the 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 draw that keeps them involved and keeps uh, people coming back. And that's uh, I I think you find some degree of that in a lot of uh, a lot of interest, but in my experience. That sort of that instant connection, that way to shortcut your way to a great friendship, um, to me that happens more deeply in uh, aviation, I, I think, than it does anywhere else. Whether it's yep. and, and no disrespect to other groups, classic cars, or people who collect uh, toys for a living, or whatever, uh, uh, whatever that might be, those are all those are all interesting passions. But somehow in aviation, it's like hey, you, you like to fly, I like to fly. Okay, we're friends. Uh, by the way, my name's Hal. Now let's get to know each other. Right. And uh, it's a it's a great connection, and there's just there's nothing more fun than spending that time with like-minded people, is there? That that's exactly it. Well, Daniel, that's uh, that's terrific. I I think we could go uh, we could go on and on, and and uh, maybe we might have you back one day to go uh, a little bit more in depth. But we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on today and help uh, uh, both you and Rick help educate me a bit more about uh, about hang gliding, an aspect of aviation I've not been involved with. Uh, but of course, more importantly, educating uh, the people out there listening, and and I think uh, inspiring uh, many of them to want to go and give this a try. Well, thanks for the invite. This is, uh, you know, I I love to fly. Second to that, I love to talk flying. And so, <laughs> thank thank you very much. Well, you're in the right place, and you're very much among friends. Uh, Rick, thank you for uh, for stepping in today as uh, as guest host slash guest slash host and uh, appreciate your uh, your contributions I, um, 
I apologize. I should have looked up the uh, the month and year, but uh, you can do a quick search in the Sport Aviation Archives uh, to find uh, the column Rick did for Ultralight World to le- uh, learn more about his experience with early hang gliding. It's uh, it's quite a read, and it's uh, it's well worth digging up. So with that, thanks to uh, everyone out there for listening. Thanks to producer Christina for all her work in, in making this sound good and making us sound like we kind of know what we're doing. Um, really appreciate the feedback that we get. Uh, you can email us at feedback at ea.org. When these podcast episodes go live on our Inspire blog at inspire.ea.org, you can post comments there. Uh, you can leave reviews on iTunes, uh, I think Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you consume your podcast. And those, uh, those good reviews and that positive feedback are the only reason that uh, we're able to continue doing the show, and we really, really appreciate it. So keep that stuff coming in, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot.